Okay, so we're transitioning now into the topic of gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual stuff. Thanks for your patience. We were going to go into this earlier, but I extended uh, a few of the recent sermons, including the pro-life, pro-choice one. That's why we kept bumping it back. But here we are, and my goal is to address this topic with all of the consideration um, and care that it deserves. Uh, We're discussing an issue that generates powerful emotions, Um, and there are people in this room who regularly interact with homosexual people and feel a strong desire to support these folks and protect them from being mistreated. And I'm sure you are wondering how you can do a better job at that. There are also people, some here, who worry that by expressing their true biblical convictions uh, on homosexuality, they could lose something, like a relationship with a friend or a family member, or it could cost them something in their job. Maybe it already has. Uh, There are, in addition, I'm confident here in this room today, some who know firsthand the feelings of having same-sex attraction, and you might be wondering where these feelings come from, how God feels about them and you, whether the church would accept you. Um, We will cover all of this and more. We're going to spend four weeks on this topic. Today, we're going to chart out the history of the gay movement and the cultural perspective and reaction to this issue and the church. Uh, And then we're just going to frame out today a basic bookends of grace and truth. That's today. Next week, we're going to go into the truth and the church. So how has this issue impacted the the truth, the Bible, and the church, and what do we truly believe about this topic? That's next week. Then we'll do a few Christmas messages, and then when we pick things back up on January 8th, uh, we will cover um, the issue of homosexuality in very practical relational issues, like how do I communicate with a child or a friend or a co-worker? How how do I live this out in real life and guard and protect relationships? It's going to be very practical. Then the week after that, We'll cover what happens when sexual liberty and religious liberty collide. What happens when some of my freedoms of speech, um, what happens when when these two issues and these rights all get mixed up and people are getting hurt. Uh, And um, that will be the last week. Today, though, is just an introduction. I think it would be very helpful for me to share a few quick blips of recent headlines that kind of show us where we are. Where are we with this issue? Well, just, (coughs) just a few years ago, President Obama um, lit up the White House like a rainbow. We've got a picture of that. Um, And this was on the day that the Supreme Court decided to endorse and legalize gay marriage across the land. So where are we? Well, we're at the point where the President of the United States, superpower in in the global community, is so in favor and celebrating this decision that he will paint the iconic Uh, center of government of the United States in a color that represents and symbolizes support of this movement. That that has come a long way considering even in his second election, he would not come out as supporting gay marriage. It has come a long way. Uh, Now, we also have a man, uh, according to a headline, had a baby in Arizona. A man gave birth in Arizona. That was one of the headlines. And what we see here is uh, a person who was born female who has taken steps to alter her appearance to look far more like a man, um, who retained her reproductive organs so that after she married another woman, uh, they decided they would like to have a child. And so it, it was, um, so, so she had a child. And now you see the reimagining of the family, a new life brought into the world, 
who has two biological females raising her up, but one of them um, is referred to as dad, one of them is referred to as mom. That also shows us the legal entanglements that happened because they got a divorce. And so when they went into the courts, their marriage was in Hawaii, but they were in Arizona, and the courts didn't know if it even counted as a marriage, whether or not they could prove the divorce because it's between a woman and a woman. It was, it was very confusing from a legal sense of what they could do. Another headline recently is Miley Cyrus came out as pansexual. Pansexual. So now we're not just dealing with either maybe I'm gay and I'm attracted to the opposite sex, <clears throat> maybe I'm bisexual and I have affinity for both, but, but some are stretching this issue so wide that they won't even be bound by those two categories. There was gay, there was bisexual, perhaps transgender or cross-dressing. Those are kind of the three categories up until recently, and now there are people who are expanding it wider than ever. What, might you ask, is pansexual? Well, Miley Cyrus describes it as this. I am literally open to every single thing that is consenting and doesn't involve an animal and everyone is of age. Everything that's legal, I'm down with. Yo, I'm down with any adult, anyone over the age of 18 who's down to love me. I don't relate to being boy or girl. I don't have to have my partner relate to boy or girl. What she's articulating is the complete casting off of every restraint except the bare minimum of boundaries on her sexuality and her identity. Uh, and uh, if, if you're of legal age, that really, and then there's consent, that's it. That's all it takes for her to uh, have an, a, a, uh, an acceptance of not only understanding and accepting you, but being with you in an intimate way. She wears a shirt that says, gender is over. And some are taking it that far, not all, but that's where we are. And then we also read the headlines recently of a Kentucky clerk who, after gay marriage, was uh, brought to the people by the Supreme Court overnight. Kim Davis uh, felt an issue of conscience because she did not want to sign the certificates, the marriage certificates, for gay couples. So she refused, and they put her in jail. Um, she was an elected official, so she was elected to serve the people, all the people. So this is, again, a legal, complicated thing, um, and she was released, and uh, it got a lot of press. <coughs> These four things kind of show us where we are. The question is, how did we get here? And the question then is, how do we feel about where we are and where do we go from here? It's obvious that our country is divided. Depending on the venue, showing these four pictures and talking about these four events could trigger roarous applause in support of every single thing that I just mentioned. Or if you're in another venue, there can be stunned silence and shocked belief at how far we have uh, lowered down um, in, in morality. The church is divided, the medical profession is divided, the courts and the schools are divided, and there is still a huge struggle on this topic. It is not over. So you have to be ready to talk about this because it's not going away anytime soon. That being said, let's pray because we need that. Father, thank you that your word gives us direction. Thank you that you help us and call us to engage with our culture, to become all things to all people so that we might save some. Show us what that means in this situation, in this current time. Help us to understand the time so that we might speak with grace and with truth, representing you well. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the first half of the sermon, or maybe even two-thirds, I'm basically just going to walk through a history of the major events of uh, the gay movement. Then the second part, I'm just going to give us two biblical bookends to go with. So um, we will get to the Bible. But for now, the first thing I want you to write down is this. Big questions, number one, where are we and how did we get here? 
Where are we and how did we get here? Uh, in order to understand the political and religious history of today, you must look back to the 18th and 19th centuries. Something happened among the intellectual elite back in Europe. It was called the Enlightenment. Maybe you just learned about that in passing in history class. It's a big deal. Because among the elites, the thinkers, and those who had shaped civilization, there was a giant change in the Enlightenment. The change was this. People began turning to reason and individualism instead of turning to religion and tradition. They began turning to reason and individualism, the self, and away from religion and tradition. Uh, they began to challenge and push at the sexual norms found in the scripture and the overall notion of God's authority. Up until that point in Western civilization, the church had given uh, the, the Western culture its, its, its moral norms and also its structures of family and church. The Enlightenment, uh, in the Enlightenment, people rose up to challenge those structures and start pushing back at them. Now, it was more an elite, isolated group of people who were theoretically thinking about all this. Not much happened at the common level when it comes to family, sexuality, and marriage. This didn't reach a full-blown cultural revolution until the 1960s. We will get there shortly. But jot this down. To summarize where we began, for hundreds of years, homosexual behavior was a crime. That's where it started. It was a crime. I'm not just talking a few hundred years. Back to the 1600s, <coughs> when we started uh, settling here in um, North America, and the colonization began to happen, homosexuality was viewed as a crime. Um, living between the 1600s and 1960, being homosexual meant you lived with a secret that could destroy your life completely if it became known. You have to understand that. What was it like to be gay from the 1600s and, and before that? I'm just talking about here, our continent. What was it like to be gay from the 1600s up until the 1960s? You lived with a secret that you could not share. If it got out, it would ruin your life forever. That was the reality. Um, it was also the behavior associated with it as a crime. Sodomy was illegal, and it had a long history of being illegal. Sodomy laws were enacted in the colonies, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, and the penalty was death. It was the death penalty in Europe. It was the death penalty in the newly formed colonies. That was the consensus cultural opinion in the church and the world from the beginning. Um, Homosexuality was also not only viewed as a crime, it was viewed as a mental disorder or a mental illness. In fact, in 1952, when the American Psychiatric Association, the APA, uh, came out with its first manual ever, uh, it listed homosexuality as a sociopathic personality disturbance. And it was something that was viewed as an illness to be cured or, or a mystery to be solved. That's the way that it was seen um, up until the 1960s. When it comes back to legislation, states worked to threaten and punish this behavior using anything from jail time to the threat of forced sterilization. If somebody sought out treatment and, and they felt unwanted feelings of same-sex attraction, well, between the 1940s and the 70s, common treatment options weren't great. They included electroshock therapy, lobotomy, and castration. There wasn't any place to talk about it. There wasn't much sympathy given to the conversation at all. If it came out, you were ruined. If you sought help, there wasn't much there for you. That's the way things were 
for hundreds of years. I'm not saying that was right or wrong. I'm showing you that this is where it started. The world and the church in consensus have this opinion on this behavior and lifestyle. That's where it began. Now, everything changed in the 60s. We have to note how recent the changes were. Uh, It doesn't mean that because change happened recently that it's wrong. I'm just pointing out that it was incredibly recent that this started to change. Uh, Write this down. A strong push for normalization happened between 1960 and 1980. The sexual revolution really changed everything about how the country viewed sex, marriage, and family. You really need to admit this. There are some times when you get into a conversation with someone and they're like, you know what? I hear people talking about how times have changed. Times haven't changed. This is the way it's always been. There's always been this. There's always been that. Don't tell me times have changed. That really is ignorant because when you look back to the, um, the laws of um, television, for example, and uh, censorship, uh, do you know when Tweety Bird first came out in the 1950s, Tweety Bird was banned from TV. Why? Because the first Tweety had no feathers. Put some feathers on that naked pretend bird, and then we'll let Tweety on the television. All right? I'm just telling you how strict things used to be. When Elvis appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show, they would not show his hips because they were moving. All right? Ricky Martin, who knows what, you know, what the standard is today, but he definitely would have gotten on back then. But here we have, we have hips moving, and the world is not ready for that. You have to admit things were not just different. Unrecognizable. Unrecognizable very recently. Uh, You couldn't flush a toilet on the television because it was considered too indecent. Archie Bunker was the first man to flush a toilet on television. And it took society some time to get used to that idea. All right? So, So times haven't just changed. They have become unrecognizable compared to where they used to be. Again, I'm not saying that it was right or wrong for the censors to say you can't flush a toilet on television. I'm just saying you have to admit everything is different now and it's changed rapidly. There was a strong push for normalization between 1960 and 1980. That is undeniable. Um, The sexual revolution, which applied to everyone, heterosexuals too, uh, changed the way that sex, marriage, and family was viewed. The priority became finding yourself, expressing yourself, and enjoying yourself. That's the highest goal, finding who you are expressing who you are, enjoying who you are, fundamentally putting the self in the center of all decision-making and experience in this world. That led to sexual freedom, and that led to a a great, in their mind, liberation of enjoying yourself even sexually. Now, if you want to know the things that reshaped society for better or for worse, there are a few really big deals. The first one is birth control. Uh, The pill was one of the biggest deals to ever happen in history because you can have sex with someone and not have to worry about whether or not you're going to get pregnant. Birth control is a big deal, and the pill is a huge deal because you can separate that bond of sex with somebody with the burden of marriage, with with the blessing and the responsibility of having to marry that person uh, because a child could come along. The birth control pill led to a world where there can be casual, consensual encounters with no consequences attached. Well, as the heterosexuals were rethinking uh, the uh, generally agreed upon society norm that sex belongs in marriage, everyone agreed with that leading up to the 60s, world and church. Uh, Now they were rethinking that. Well, the gay community, which was well alive in the underground, in the shadows, began looking 
out of behind the corner and wondering if these new rules could apply to them. If sexual experience and relationships could happen outside of marriage, can't they play by these new rules? It was the sexual revolution that laid the groundwork for the gay community to come out and to have a moral leg to stand on when they did come out. So um, the sexual revolution, the pill was a big one. No-fault divorce was a huge one. Uh, prior to no-fault divorce, it was, it was quite a lengthy journey and a humiliating one and a hard one to get a divorce because you made a promise and the government held you to it. No-fault divorce changed all of that. We could be married, we could be unmarried. It's disposable. And if it's disposable, then why can't, as heterosexuals are doing it, why can't we have these encounters with people that aren't centered on marriage publicly? Uh, No-fault divorce was a huge deal. And then there were also movements, the feminist movement, the civil rights movement, and the gay movement. All of these changed civilization, and the 60s brought it about. Uh, 1969 was the official start, the birth of the gay rights movement. We've got a picture here. Hundreds of people gathered day after day to protest a police action at a gay bar in New York. They gathered for days, shouting gay slogans. This was their rallying point, and it finally happened, and they all got together. Um, and this would be considered the birth of the movement, 1969. They were finding their voice. There was, I'm not saying that every homosexual person is a gay activist, but when somebody denies that there was a gay agenda, they just don't know history. There was a very well-organized, well-funded, disciplined and militant gay rights movement. There was. You can trace it throughout civilization, throughout society. You can trace their effect on networks, on businesses, and on the medical community. They had a strategy. They were very militant about it often not kind, and they wanted to get things changed. So um, they were emboldened. The uh, Stonewall riots emboldened them. Gay activists began to work on um, centers of thought to try and uh, make this perceived as a normal experience by society. For example, the American Psychological Association had an annual conference every year, and the gay activists would protest it. They would storm up and take the mic. They would shut it down and they would shout, demanding that homosexuality be taken out of their manual listed as a disorder. They were forcing the society, the association, to normalize it. Uh, year after year, this happened. And then finally, the leaders of the APA sat down with gay activists and for days negotiated a solution because they didn't want the pressure. And what came about from that um, is in 1973, the APA finally de declassified homosexuality as a disorder. Uh, this was very controversial. The following year, they took a poll, and 40% of the APA um, members disagreed. 40% disagreed with what they had just done. So there was no, uh, no new research that brought about this change. There was no unanimous uh, consensus, consensus or support. It was simply activism and pressure, and that led to the change. In 1971, a legal battle began, because remember, it's still a crime in the eyes of the law. In 1971, a legal be battle began when four states repealed their sodomy laws and said it is no longer criminal to act out the homosexual lifestyle. This issue then created state uh, arguments. Is it a crime? Is it not? The issue boiled up to the Supreme Court, and in 1986, the Supreme Court upheld the state's rights to say sodomy is a crime. The country was divided legally. Listen, what that means is, as of 1986, the Supreme Court said it is a constitutional right for a state to make it a crime to engage in homosexual, homosexual behavior. 1986, it was a crime. Uh, that is where the country was. That represents what happened between 1960 
and through the early 1980s. Then what happened? Well, the 80s and the 90s, you can write this down. In the 80s and the 90s, it, there was a, it generated an awareness, a compassion, and a fear for the gay lifestyle. Awareness, huge awareness. Prior to the 80s and 90s, people just didn't want to talk about it. The news didn't want to cover it. There were no movies, there were no TV shows, hardly ever, that dealt with this issue. It was silence. Mom's the word. They wouldn't deal with it. In the 80s, uh, awareness skyrocketed. Why? Because of the AIDS crisis. AIDS broke out in the early 80s, and the first cases of AIDS were found in homosexual men in New York and L.A. Uh, there was a panic in society over how AIDS was spread. They didn't know. There was a lot they didn't know. AIDS was first called GRID, Gay-Related Immune Deficiency. It was first referred to as gay cancer or the gay flu. Uh, we've got a picture here early on of the gay community saying, we need research, not hysteria. We need help. We need help. We're dying. At first, the media would not cover it. They were dead silent on it um, because of the stigma. But, uh, and the gay community was confused because it basically manifested itself as lesions on the skin, so they thought it was cancer, or a flu that came and went, so they thought it was a flu. Once the CDC found out it was a sexually transmitted disease, they immediately began to try and intervene and raise awareness in the gay community that this is being spread through, uh, through sexual experiences. The gay community was um, initially resistant to that truth. There were bathhouses in San Francisco, a lot of money being thrown around to keep them open, uh, and they were resistant to the truth. Because of the panic, uh, there was a lot, of, a lot of attention now. The light uh, shined on the gay community, and uh, the reality of the homosexual lifestyle became commonly known. Homosexuals became known commonly often had hundreds or thousands of sexual partners. This is all becoming public knowledge, and society is torn how to react to that. Many comedians ridiculed those who suffered from AIDS. Um, others felt sympathy when famous people like Rock Hudson died from the disease, uh, who was a friend of the president at the time. The country was divided in its compassion, how do we help, and divided in its convictions, how, how do we feel about this? So there's a few other pictures we have here. Uh, we have in papers religious figures and leaders coming out saying AIDS is the wrath of God and they offended nature and nature is fighting back and there were all of these voices of truth without compassion who were making these statements at the time. I think we have one more picture. This was a Life uh, magazine iconic photo now of a man in his final days struggling with AIDS as his family gathered around him and cared for him and that photograph along with many others uh, raised awareness in the world of the suffering in the gay community. Not only the social, cultural pressure on them, but now the physical, agonizing suffer. And people with large hearts began to ask, how do we help? Um, public awareness skyrocketed, and because of the attention, many people were terrified of getting AIDS. This created more fear towards the gay community and perhaps anger in some groups. Um, out of that in the 80s came both compassion and fear. Compassion is seen in Hollywood. In the 1990s, Hollywood finally began working to legitimize and normalize the gay lifestyle through controversial movies. First made for TV, they wouldn't take the leap of making a movie released in the cinema because they didn't think it would do well. So first made for TV movies like And the Band Played On, starring Richard Gere. Uh, this was released by HBO. So that was kind of them uh, venturing out into this territory. And then eventually... Uh, blockbuster movies like Philadelphia, starring Tom Hanks, where he 
played a, a gay man who had contracted HIV. Hollywood was becoming an ally and would become a powerful engine of support behind the gay movement. In the 90s, some celebrities began coming out of the closet, like uh, Ellen. Um, Ellen came out on the cover of Time magazine after a year of buildup. It was so risky to a person in sports or a person in film. It was so risky. They could lose their whole career and hardly anybody had come out. Um, Ellen joked that the only people who had come out before her were Melissa Etheridge and Martina Navratilova, and that's about it. Other early pioneers included Rupert Everett, uh, people risking everything to tell others the truth about their lifestyle, and they were viewed by many as heroes, pioneers, those who would risk it all to be themselves. Um, that summarizes what happened in the 80s and in the 90s, a giant increase in awareness, in compassion, and in fear. Then the 2000s came along. The 2000s led to the glamorization and legalization of homosexuality. It was not glamorous or legal before the 2000s. It's important to know just how rapidly things have changed. It was not legal or glamorous before the 2000s. It was on April 26, 2000 that Vermont became the first state to legalize same-sex civil unions. Now understand at the beginning, that was kind of a concession. Uh, society at large, the culture at large, was not ready to even talk about gay marriage. So there was this other thing offered, civil union. And in 2000, Vermont offered that, even though sodomy laws were still in place and there were some places where the behavior was criminal. A whole state now said you can be united, similar to marriage, in the eyes of the state. How confused the states were. Then in 2003... A landmark Supreme Court case, Lawrence versus Texas, in 2003, struck down the sodomy laws in Texas, thereby re reversing the decision the Supreme Court had made back in 86. And therefore, as of 2003, the Supreme Court made same-sex activity legal in the entire country. Now, just step back for a moment and listen to what I just said. It wasn't until 2003 that the government said this behavior is no longer criminal. I'm just showing you that to show you, first of all, how the pendulum keeps swinging. In 86, it's a crime, and in 2003, it's not. And how recently it was that things became the way they are today. It was just in 2003. Now, a lot of people in the country disagreed with the Supreme Court. In fact, the vote was passed by only one, by the vote of only one margin. And President Bush, President of the United States, the next year suggested an amendment to the Constitution banning gay marriage. You see, since there were now civil unions and since now the behavior was allowed, the culture was saying, yes, but they can't have marriage. And there was a lot of people saying that they would not stand for gay marriage, even in 2004, suggesting a constitutional amendment. In uh, May 18th of 2004, Massachusetts became the first state to legalize gay marriage. Do you see the division? A president of the United States is talking about a constitutional amendment banning it, and a state in the union is saying it's legal. There was such division. There was not agreement. Um, there were several states who began offering, in presidential elections, who began offering referendums and uh, ballots, or referendums and votes that would ban gay marriage and would define marriage to be between a man and a woman for their entire state. Many of these votes passed. In some cases, like Proposition 8 in California, after the will of the people and the votes were cast and it was all settled, the courts overruled the will of the people and said, we strike that down. That will not stand in our state. So there was massive fighting between the people and the government. There was not agreement. 
Many people thought that these issues should be either left to the state to decide or left to the voters, but on June 26th of 2015, the Supreme Court ruled, uh, taking the issue out of the hands of the voters, that same-sex marriages are now legal across the country. Um, they did not give Congress or the people a chance to weigh in. They said, this is now the law of the land, <clears throat> and the dissenting voices of the Supreme Court justices said, who are we to invent rights? Um, some people who were even in support of this challenged the way that this finally arrived through a Supreme Court decision. This is what happened in the 2000s. It was the glamorization and the legalization of homosexuality. Here's a summary. Therefore, widespread endorsement and acceptance of homosexual, homosexual behavior is very recent. Now, all of this gives us our bearings and helps us find our voice. If you know how we got here, you'll be more informed, you'll be more aware I think it will create more understanding and compassion in your heart as you understand how this issue developed. I think the more informed you are, the more compassionate you can be, and the more truthful you can be and, and accurate. So that's the history. Number two, you can write this down. How can we show the love of Christ and share the truth of Christ uh, on this issue? Everything I just shared with you is history. I'm not saying it was right or wrong or it should or shouldn't have happened. I'm just saying this is what happened. The question now is, how do I speak the love and the truth of Christ whenever I have a conversation about this? Well, the bookends of how we respond to anyone on this issue will be truth and grace. So maybe you're a truth person. Maybe when the topic comes up, you, you feel like people need to hear the truth on this. The truth about what the Supreme Court did. The truth about what's happening in schools. The truth about what the Bible says. Maybe you're a truth person. If you're honest, you'll admit that you want the truth to be known. I, I am with you. I'm a truth person. Listen, if we're honest, though, we have to find the love on this issue. We have to become great at showing the incredible love of Jesus whenever we can. Why? The Bible says a whole lot of things about being loving. If I do not love, I am nothing. God sees me as nothing if I'm not loving. And the Bible says, do everything in love. If I can't speak graciously on this topic, I've got a big problem in my heart. So let's talk to the truth people first. You can jot this down. You have to remember, God loves the gay community. Write that down. God loves the gay community. And you can uh, open up your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. That's where we're going to land for a few minutes here. Titus chapter 3. Um, in Titus chapter 3, we find one of the most truth and grace passages in the scripture. It challenges us with the grace, and yet it shares with us the truth. So in Titus chapter 3, it'll lay a few things out for us. As you get there, let me read it to you. It says, um, remember, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. He saved us. Hey, listen to what the Bible just said, looking back in chapter 3, verse 1. It said, we are challenged to speak evil of no one. Wow. Hey, truth people, I want you to look up here for a minute. 
I am one of you. And we are charged by the holy God of heaven to speak evil of no one. How are you doing at speaking evil of no one? You see, oftentimes I'll go to high schools through ISP, one of our organizations that brings the gospel into local high schools. I'll be in front of 60, 70, 80, 100 high schoolers, and they can ask me any question they want after I share the gospel. And the question will usually come up. What do you think about gay marriage and homosexuality? The first thing I always say is I was terrible in how I treated gay people and how I talked about them before I came to know Jesus. Awful with my jokes. Awful with my ridicule. Awful with my attitude. And I've asked God to forgive me for that. And Jesus taught me how to love homosexual people. I start with the grace. And I repent of my filthy sin. All right? I repent of that because I've spoken sinful words that God will hold me accountable for. Speak evil of no one. How are you doing at keeping your mouth clean of the jokes, the ridicule, putting people down? It goes on to say here, speak evil of no one. Be gentle. Gentle. You're holding someone in your hand that a breakable person, and if you smash them on the ground, you're not being gentle with what you say. Be so gentle. It says here, and show perfect courtesy toward all people. The basis of that is God's goodness and loving kindness appeared to you. When God found you, everything about your life was offensive to him. He was so kind and so gracious and so loving. He could have slammed you to the ground and thrown you in hell forever, but he didn't. The way he treated you is the way you need to treat other people. Truth people, I'm challenging you to understand and act like God loves the gay community. There's no room for hatred. There is certainly no room for violence or ridicule. And understand at our church, our doors are open to anyone regardless of their past or present lifestyle. Anyone can come, listen, learn. We would gladly welcome them. They will receive the same invitation to come and hear the same gospel we preach to everyone else. That is a loving community. I want our church to be a community where people can be honest about what they are experiencing. For too long, people didn't have that opportunity to even be honest about what they are experiencing. I want people to feel free to ask questions about their deepest desires. I want people to feel like they can discover who God truly made them to be here. That is the church community that's filled with love. God loves the gay community. Now let me talk to people who are maybe more gracious. Are you a grace person? Are you more of a grace person? Huge heart. Let me challenge you to learn to share the incredible truth of Jesus Christ whenever you discuss this issue. You can jot this down. God's word speaks the same message to gay and straight people alike. It's the same message. We don't change it for anyone, regardless of lifestyle. The promises and the warnings of God found in the Bible apply to everyone equally. To those people who understand what I just said, it fills them with tremendous rejoicing. Tremendous rejoicing. The promises of God can apply to me. He promises me eternal life as a free gift through Jesus. Hallelujah. And yet the warnings, properly heeded, fill a person with hope. The warnings of God apply to me. He has moral expectations on my thoughts. He has moral expectations on my feelings. He has moral expectations on my sexual activity. Yes. And I learned that his way is best, whatever that means for me. 
God's word speaks the same message to gay and straight people alike. Titus 3, 5 to 7 goes on to say this. He saved us. Look at that word saved. Saved. Why do we reach out with the gospel to those who are in the gay community? Because they have the exact same need as everyone else. They need to be saved, just like you. Listen, I, before I came to know Christ, I was stuck like a mouse in a glue trap. Nothing I could do could get me out. Jesus had to reach down and pull me out of my sin and save me. Why do we share the gospel with folks who are in the gay community? Because they need to be saved, just like you, just like me. They need the same gospel because they are in the same predicament. We don't share this with them because they're gay. We share this with them because they're human. They are human and they are fallen. And when it comes to our sexuality, we have to understand this. It's not just for the gay community that God looks down on our sexual behavior and holds us accountable. All of sexual sin is punishable by God's law. All of it. In every form. The ideal and the standard found in God's word is one man, one woman, married for life. Every other expression of sexual activity, the Bible calls sexual sin. Therefore, every single one of us in this room looks back. And whether it's our thoughts or our actions, we have fallen short of that ideal. Far short of that ideal. Therefore, we are all under the gaze of God. We all have to go to Him and surrender our sexuality to Him and ask for forgiveness when we fall short of His plan in this area. And here's the news. The news is that's just the beginning. Because we're not just falling in our sexuality, we're falling in every area of our lives. All our eyes, our mind, our money. When we come to Jesus, nothing about our lives impresses Him. Everything about you before Christ is offensive to God. That's the truth. And it's the truth about you whether you're straight or gay. Everything about you is offensive to God and you need a Savior. When you come before Him and you cast yourself at His feet, you surrender every single part of your life because you need a Savior. You admit the truth. You are a fallen being who needs help. That's the truth that we preach to everyone. And that is the promise that is offered to anyone of any background, regardless of any experiences. You can bring yourself to Christ humbly. He will forgive you and accept you. But the deal is, you have to repent. You have to turn from your sin. You have to reorient yourself toward the God who loved you. And Jesus says, repent and believe. That's the call. That's the call to all of us. We have to leave our way of sin behind. We have to be born again. It goes on to say in Titus 3, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the free offer of eternal life to anyone who will confess their sins, turn from them, and who will receive the free gift that Jesus offers. I heard of a, a story of a man recently who spoke at a conference I was at. His name is Christopher Yuan. He's got a powerful testimony. Um, and given his uh, interactions in the gay lifestyle, I thought it would be appropriate to share this with you at the end of this message. This is what it sounds like for a person who's wrestled with these issues, struggled with these issues, to look into the Bible and find out what he thinks, what, what he thinks about what he finds there. Check out Christopher's testimony on the screen.
I was not a Christian growing up, but I struggled with these feelings. I knew I was different. Uh, I came out of a closet in my early 20s. I, um, I'm from Chicago. I moved to Louisville, Kentucky. I was pursuing my doctorate in dentistry and uh, came out of the closet then. Actually, that crisis brought my parents to faith and they began pursuing me. I wanted nothing to do with it. Um, unfortunately, I got involved in drugs. Not all gays and lesbians do drugs. They're promiscuous. Um, I started selling drugs. I was kicked out of dental school, um, moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and in Atlanta, I began doing what I knew how to do best, and that was sell drugs. I began supplying drugs. Um, well, all this time, I had parents at home that were praying for me, and they prayed for a miracle. They weren't praying, um, you know, that I would become straight, but they were praying that I would know the living God. Um, so, you know, they prayed for this miracle. My, my parents came to visit me one time in Atlanta. I kicked them out. My dad gave me his Bible. I threw his Bible away. You know, I, I was so far from God. I wanted nothing to do with them, nothing to do with their religion. Um, well, they prayed for a miracle, and, and they knew that that's really, it, it was going to take a God-sized miracle to turn things around. And this miracle came with my arrest, and I found myself in jail. Um, and of all things, I found a Bible in the trash can. I began reading it, and um, it began to convict me and challenge me and, and reveal my, my sins that, you know, I rebelled against God, against my parents, um, against my government. And... Um, and then I got the news that I was HIV positive, and that was kind of the lowest of the lows. From that, a uh, few days after, I saw written on the bottom of a bunk, um, somebody scribbled, if you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11, and for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Um, I don't know what that meant, but um, it spoke to me and, and gave me, you know, that no matter what I had done in the past, he still had a plan for me. So I began reading the Bible. I had lots of time on my hands. Um, and I realized after I was reading the Bible that I really had some paradigms that need to be broken. Um, first of all, I, I thought that um, my identity was in my sexuality. The world is telling, told me, uh, you are gay. And I was telling myself, I am gay. This is who I am. Um, but as I read through God's word, I realized this is not who you are. My identity should not be in my sexuality, but rather my identity should bound, be bound up in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, and that was radical transformation. And I think sometimes as Christians, we have a tendency to want to focus so much on the immorality of something, whatever it is, not just the issue of of homosexuality, uh, but if people don't have that biblical, biblical framework, they can't understand that. And, and I think what was really um, almost like a game changer for me was that once I realized that this is not my identity, it, things began to put things in place. And I think that's more gospel-centered. We, we need to focus on Jesus. I mean, it's just plain and simple. Um, that's who I am. My identity is in Christ. Um, and so I began to study God's word, and, and I realized that, that my, another paradigm that I needed to change was that my goal was not heterosexuality. We have built up this false impression of what healing would look like for someone um, dealing with, uh, with gay feelings, is that they need to be straight, or they need to no longer have those feelings. Um, but that's, 
That's not what the Word of God says. The, the Word of God is not calling someone to be straight. The Word of God is not calling us to get rid of our temptations. But the, but the gospel is calling us to live a life of holiness, even though we might be tempted. Um, so, you know, it's not pursuing heterosexuality or, or homosexuality, but it's just pursuing holiness. Um, so that was really uh, eye-opening for me, and, and that just rocked my world. Um, and where I am now, um, God called me to full-time ministry, and um, I applied to Moody, got in, and uh, went on to go my master's, got my doctorate, and now I'm just speaking on the issue of sexuality, um, and had a blessing to write a book with my mother, so it's, it's really just amazing. I mean, I kind of can't believe what God has done uh, from a person that the world would have just tossed away. Christopher wrote a book called Out of a Far Country. I'd recommend you get it and read it. We don't have it at our bookstore, but he wrote it with his mom. She prayed and fasted for him every week, and they wrote the book together. He has a seminary degree, so he knows what the Bible says, and he's processed this. He's lived this, and what a story. I recommend you get that and read it. Hey, this is just the end of part one, but I'd love to close based on everything we heard with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know that you are good, and we know your goodness is for all. We know that you are loving and your love is extended to all. We know that your word is true and your truth is over all. So I just pray for anyone here today who first might be convicted that they've not been righteous in this area. Maybe their language, their jokes, maybe the way they've talked about people or to people has been sinful. Lord, I just pray that you would bring about repentance and a cleansing uh, so that we might be a loving community. Pray, Lord, for those who maybe are trying to find their voice and speaking up, sharing the truth on this matter. Help them to be wise truthful and yet gracious as well. And Lord, I just pray for anyone here today who for any reason does not know yet whether or not they're saved. Uh, for any reason, Lord, they might just feel like your love has not been upon them. They have never experienced your presence and they fear your judgment. Help them to understand, Lord, regardless of whatever their past holds, that they can find a Savior in Jesus Christ. Help them to see that this is a narrow way that they must follow Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father but through Jesus. And I pray that they would gladly part with anything that hinders them from enjoying fellowship with you. Anything, knowing that Jesus Christ is the true treasure of the universe and knowing him is life. The definition of life is knowing Jesus. Pray that we would be willing to, to leave all behind and follow Jesus because he is our King and our Lord and our friend and our Savior. Pray that they would call out to Jesus and ask for forgiveness and salvation, knowing that the doorway is open to all. We pray this in Jesus' name.